Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA with training in pastoral care and counseling. And I'm Paula. I'm a licensed counselor, a counseling professor, and a person of Christian faith. So as we're getting started, we just want to say that Sacred Intersections podcast is about respectful discourse. It's about conversation that's an encouragement to make you think. We're not trying to make you think like us. We are just trying to make you think. That is our agenda. Neither one of us speaks on behalf of the Presbyterian Church USA or other organizations which we may be connected to in our professional lives, nor do we speak on behalf of all mental health care professionals and practitioners, people of faith, Jesus followers, white women, Americans, or people who happen to be married to excellent cooks. Oh my gosh, Jill, we are married to such excellent cooks. I think both of our, our spouses are cooking right now and the smell is killing me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. It is a magical thing. And I get super jealous sometimes that my spouse can look at a pile of ingredients, kind of think to himself, hmm, this looks good and this looks good and throw it together. And it tastes absolutely magical. And I try and do the same thing and it's a dumpster fire, but I I am grateful that God blessed me with a spouse that keeps me well-fed. Yeah. I don't even try anymore. I've just completely handed over that aspect of our lives. And yeah, I often say it's one of those things I didn't even think to pray for. You know, I've, I've shared on this podcast how I got married later in life. And so imagined what my spouse would be for a long time. And that's one thing I didn't even like think about thinking, gosh, that would be really cool. And it is really cool. So after that little side road, we also want to say Sacred Intersections is a podcast that includes discussion and conversation about religion and spirituality and mental health and all those ways that they intersect. Because Jill and I were already having these kinds of conversations and we just decided that we would record them and share them with whoever wanted to listen. So we're really glad you're one of those people who wanted to listen and that you're along for the journey. Even if you're traveling different roads or driving different vehicles, vehicles than we're driving. So we had one particular idea of a direction that we were going for an episode this week. And uh, as, as tends to happen, there are things out the window in the world and in the country that sort of uh, made us want to pivot and look out another direction. So our intersection for today is the topic of police brutality and more specifically how Christians or people who would identify themselves as followers of Jesus can respond to incidents of violence in the form of police brutality. Yeah, this is all of our topics are hard topics. This one feels particularly hard and heavy and It's a big topic. And so we do want to be upfront that we're not even going to scratch the surface of all of our thoughts on this topic, particularly because as Jill said, we had some other things in mind for this upcoming week. And then we just both felt like with all the things that have happened in our world that we just couldn't wait to address something like this, that we needed to go ahead and do that now. And our thoughts are really complicated in a lot of ways about even you know, as white women, what we should be saying and the voices that we want to elevate and, and not wanting to re-traumatize our friends of color and people who've experienced this in a much deeper and more personal way than we do and not wanting to appropriate the trauma, that trauma either. And, 
yet, as we've said in our other episodes where we talked about racism in the church, that we believe white people have a responsibility to speak out on these things and to educate ourselves about these topics and to educate each other about these topics. And so we, I don't know, we just want to be really aware of our identities, but we also didn't want to be silent. That seemed worse at this moment in time. Definitely. Definitely. So we're very aware of our own identities and the work that we have done and the work that we are continuing to try and do individually and the work that we're doing together as we sort of navigate this podcast into uh, where we feel like God's calling us to take it and, and, and how we look at it. So uh, we're aware of those identities and exactly what you said, Paula, being silent didn't feel like an option to us. So yeah, my only, my only goal in this discussion today was just to somehow share the struggle and to struggle together and to do this, have this conversation with you in this way when we're still struggling. It's one of the beautiful things about the beloved community of God is that we're figuring this out together yeah. and we're going to take some missteps, but we get to do it together and figure it out together. So I'm grateful to do it with you. I'm grateful for our roadies and all the ways that we get to figure it out together. Yes, I share that gratitude. One of the most important things we felt like we really wanted to lift up was the importance of, of knowing the names, of knowing names of those who have been victims of police brutality, whose lives have been taken at the hands of police who've been murdered by police. So the list is far too exhaustive, which in and of itself is difficult to swallow. We were particularly moved by the recent incidents and the recent deaths of Adam Toledo, Dante Wright, certainly George Floyd and Rayshard Brooks, Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, Breonna Taylor. There are so many more names. Those names are both recent names and names of people whose deaths incited protests and riots. There are are far more names. We'll put a link in the show notes to a handful of articles where you can read more with the disclaimer that you can go anywhere on the internet to find what it is that you're looking for. And so we know that the links that we're showing say a little bit about us and where we're pulling our news from, but certainly you can go on the Google and look up police incidents of police brutality in America just in 2021 or in the last 10 years or something like that and learn that. And I think that there is a responsibility, particularly for those of us who are white to know those names. That's one of the ways that we honor them. Yeah. And, you know, as we dive into this topic, one of the reasons I think it's important for us to talk about on our podcast, for us to talk about in our identities as Christians and Americans, and as people who, who care about religious harm is I feel like there's so many parallels between the work that this podcast I think has been called to do or that we're called to do on this podcast about calling out when religion is harmful. And we see so many parallels to calling out when police are harmful. And so that's why, you know, we said it in our our discussions on race, we're going to say something wrong in this podcast. We're going to say, we're probably going to make somebody mad. We're going to make a lot of people mad, probably depending on what we say. And we want to have those conversations. We don't want this to be a one-way conversation, but we also 
you know, this is not an episode where we're going to bash police either. We have to recognize Christianity is a powerful, powerful system, especially in America. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I want to call out when that power is used to harm is because I love that system and because I see the good that that system can do. And when it's harmful, I think I have a responsibility to call that out and to also recognize there are other narratives to those of us who follow Jesus. And I feel like there's so many parallels to police brutality. One of the things that's baffling to me is why police themselves are not horrified by this, or at least speaking publicly about how horrified they are. I believe probably most people in the world are horrified by these people who have been murdered by the police or who have experienced police brutality on any level. So as someone who's a Christian and recognizes when Christians do harm that I have a responsibility to call out that power, I feel like it's dissimilar in the police system that when harm happens in that system, that because it is so powerful, that people within that system should be calling it out. And those of us who benefit from that system should be calling it out as well. Absolutely. As we're traveling for our intersection, Paula, do you want to say a little bit about some of the things that we're finding on the mental health road? You know, there's so many things that we could discuss on this road. And and as we mentioned at the very beginning, there's so much we're not going to cover because we didn't do tons of research and prep for this episode. We just kind of really felt like we needed to get it out. What Some things I'm seeing among my students of color and my friends of color and clients of color even describing this constant living in fear of these powerful systems and we've talked about this in our episodes on race, but we, I think it's important to talk about just the privilege that comes from being white when you interact with the police again, that yes. when I'm pulled over, I can get annoyed that maybe I've got caught for speeding, but I don't have to sit there and fear for my life as the person who was murdered this week Yeah, had to do. Yeah. Um, there are people of color that I know who who learned how to operate a vehicle, who learned how to drive differently than I did. I can remember being told a story by a black man who recounted the ways in which his father taught him how to drive and emphasized all of the things that I glossed over in my own driving education about, you know, for, for this black man, your hands always have to be on 10 to two. And he had a special, uh, container in which he kept his driver's license and his registration and his ins- proof of insurance up on the dashboard right in front. So he didn't have to reach into the glove compartment because reaching just to get doing, doing exactly what he was instructed to do could result in his loss of life. And this was not a young man either. That was the other thing that this is that the, these incidents of police brutality are, are, fresh in the news and, and are in the somewhat recent memory for some of America, but the inherent systemic racism behind them, uh, and incidents of police brutality before our 24 hour news cycle have been going on for a very, very long time. Yeah. And as we talk about privilege being something that one group doesn't have to think about that another group does, you know, that the worst thing I have to think about when I'm getting pulled over is getting a ticket. And the worst thing a man of color that comes to mind maybe immediately or any person of color might be, I'm not going to get out of this alive. 
I'm not going to get out of this alive. Mm-hmm. And and where we, the way that we've seen that play out as the truth happen this week is really horrifying. So there's the issues of oppression and the ways that some people have to live with this constant vigilance. And that's exhausting, constant high alert to never be able to let your guard down and feel safe, especially among the systems that broader society says are systems that are supposed to protect you, supposed to protect all people. And, you know, and we know that the vast majority of traffic stops don't end in murder. And we know the vast majority of traffic stops don't end in, in things like this. And because it, there is such bias baked into the system that so many people don't even realize the bias that is there is what creates, even though most traffic stops don't end in murder, every time it happens for some people, they have that fear that is there. So every time, that's a, that's a lot to carry. One of the things that comes to mind for me on the mental health road is just the importance of checking in with your people right now. Whether your people are people of color, whether your people are people who have experienced incidents of violence in their own lives or in their past or in their histories, or whether your people are part of law enforcement. I think there's a washing out there that goes out that says that anyone who speaks out against police brutality immediately wants the police to be defunded entirely and that anyone who speaks out against police brutality thinks that the police are horrible and I will say, I think we do not feel that way, that there are people in law enforcement whom we care deeply about and whom are also likely horrified at, at things like that. But I cannot imagine that being in law enforcement right now is not stressful, particularly with everything that's going on in the world. So check it, check in with your people. And if you don't know what to say, say that you don't know what to say. Say, I don't know what to say, but I feel like I need to check in with you. Yeah, that not knowing what to say can be paralyzing for so many people who want to be helpful or who want to provide comfort, but get paralyzed by the fear of saying the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And so I would say to push past that fear and let your desire to comfort someone or be there for someone or to provide space for someone be stronger than that fear of saying the wrong thing and start with, I might say the wrong thing, but I just want you to know I'm here for you, or I just want to check on you, or I just want to know how you're doing, whether that's checking in with a person of color or checking in with a loved one in law enforcement or checking in with just someone who's watching too much media these days. And that's, that's the other thing I would say, um, being one aspect of the mental health road is I think I've said this on the podcast before I had a youth minister shout out to Steve Griffith. I don't know if he's ever listened to this podcast, but who loved to say, we can't help, but be influenced by what we allow ourselves to be exposed to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even though I can, as a white woman, hear the privilege in my voice of being able to turn off media and be able to drown out some of taking in all of the trauma that's happening in our world today. To whatever extent you can do that, to just be care with what you're exposing yourself to and for what you're consuming into your heart and your mind and your soul. And and I don't, and that's not to say we don't pretend it's not happening, but we just recognize that we have to expose ourselves to other things than this constant trauma and this constant violence that's happening. So if you need to step out of media and step back into media, and I know we're going to talk about some people we follow on social media who've been also intentional about saying things like that to amplify some of those other voices, but 
Um, but yeah, be careful about what you're exposing yourself to on a constant basis. And that, you know, leads into another thing on the mental health road of the re-traumatizing that can happen when you're constantly, when a lot of times it's white people with good intentions wanting to share this horrible thing, this horrible racist thing that happens. And that can be experienced by our friends of color as a re-traumatizing kind of thing. And so it's finding, that doesn't mean we don't talk about it. It's hard. It's really hard to figure out that balance of how we talk about this and saying the right thing and the wrong thing, but just be aware of, um, of just the re-traumatizing that can happen when we are constantly bombarded with these narratives of this violence and these racist acts that have happened. It, it uh, leads me to think about this idea of, of slowing ourselves down. And, and there may be some privilege in that as well, because there is an urgency to want to address these horrific injustices injustices, but slowing down your response, slowing down the way that you respond to someone so that you can hear a response. So maybe when you're checking in with someone, you, you start with, I don't know what to say. I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you or, you know, what I might say the wrong thing, but then listen for what they respond, because the thing they might say is I really appreciate you checking in and I need some space. I need yep. some air. I need, I need space to breathe. I need to not have to talk about this. Um, I think one of the things that we, uh, many of us as white people do is um, look for a very quick fix. Um, talking about racism is uncomfortable. Talking about police brutality is uncomfortable. Talking about anywhere where, where you're maybe in the wrong or benefiting in a way that needs to be changed, that's uncomfortable. And we want to get out of that and get rid of that quickly. And so there's this tendency to want to fix it very quickly. And that might not be the best course of action. Yeah. This isn't fixing quickly. And that leads into, again, white people constantly asking people of color to educate them or to tell them what they need or to tell me how I can be a comfort to you. There are times you know, we need to stop asking people of color to educate us and to educate ourselves. There's lots of resources out there. Jill's got a great link on our website, sacredintersectionspodcast.com that she put together and we've continued to add to with our earlier episodes that we've taught where we've talked about race. So there's lots of ways to educate ourselves, And, and that doesn't mean, again, it's this balance of providing a voice to these voices of color and listening to them, but not demanding you be here for me. That's not what it should, the education piece should be about. Yeah. If you want to be, if, if you are a white person who would like to be educated by a person of color, there are resources on our website that are books and articles uh, written by people of color who are, are, are putting content out there to be a means of educating your, your friend or your coworker or a person you encounter on a street who is a person of color has not put content out there for the express purpose of educating you. So, um, hopefully you, you see the nuance there and the difference there. Yeah. And one of my phrases that I use with my counseling students a lot is when in doubt, lay it out. And what that means, kind of like when you don't know what to say, just say you don't know what to say, or just say you don't know how to navigate this. So again, rather than being silent, or rather than going to the other end of that continuum and demanding something of them that maybe they're too exhausted to give, is saying like, I really want to learn about this, but I don't want to put too much burden on you. And 
And so I just want to open the door, but I'm also going to step away, you know, so, and, and that feels really weird and awkward, but that's kind of laying it out as opposed to trying to read somebody else's mind and figure out um, what they need from you in the moment. And I, you know, I know we've said this before. I just want to keep saying throughout the podcast though, we're two white women and it's so easy for me to fall into the language of speaking to other white people and not knowing our demographics of who's listening. Just, you know, please feel free to give us your thoughts if it's different from what we're saying, or if there's better ways to have some of these conversations. Yeah. So we could talk a lot about the mental health road and about just the, the trauma that we're seeing on the news, the trauma that the cultural trauma that people are experiencing. And I think we probably will get into that deeper, maybe on some future podcasts, but take us down the religion road a little bit, Jill, what kinds of things are you seeing? I think the most important thing that comes to mind when we think about incidents of police brutality is this concept of justice and the ways in which people who are following Jesus are following a pattern that Jesus set for them. And one of the parts of Jesus' pattern was speaking out, uh, speaking truth to power, looking at responses to injustice. And we also see that in in, uh, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. So there are other faiths as well that see this practice of doing justice and speaking out against injustice as something that's holy. So we've got examples in scripture of people who have worked to do justice in different ways. I pay a lot of close attention to whenever there's women in the Bible who are given names because that doesn't happen super often. So one of the social social media accounts that we follow that we'll link to in the show notes is Black Liturgies. So it's um, at Black Liturgies on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, blackliturgist.com. And this is the work of Cole Arthur Riley, who lifted up these two women that are written about, spoken about in Exodus 1, Shipra and Pua. So when the Pharaoh decided that all Hebrew babies should be killed because the Pharaoh was concerned about losing power, that the Hebrew people would become too numerous and would overpower the Pharaoh, um, the Pharaoh gave instruction that all of the Hebrew babies should be killed. And Shifra and Pua decided not to do that. And they were practicing civil disobedience. And the example of Shifra and Pua is sort of other marginalized people who came around. They they did not have power themselves, but they were given a law that they found was not good. And so they worked against it. And they said, oh, these Hebrew women, they give birth so quickly, we can't get there in time to get the baby and, and to kill the baby. And that's how Moses came to be. That's, you know, there's a a huge portion of scripture that comes from these two women who God calls holy for disobeying the direct law of the Pharaoh. Another example we have is one of the prophets, Nehemiah. That's a slightly different example that we can follow of someone who was using their power. Nehemiah was a governor, someone who had power, and he saw that Jerusalem was in ruins, and he saw that people were being oppressed and taken advantage of, and he he wept. He was really, really sad to see the state that Jerusalem was in. And so he used his power to speak to all of the other power brokers and people in power to say, this is wrong, and I'm going to hold you accountable to fixing it. Those are two different examples of the way that Jesus, uh, or the way that 
that pe- that the Bible shows the doing of justice as a good thing. And then we have Jesus. Jesus worked for justice in a lot of ways in, in the ways that Jesus healed people and brought them in from communities where they felt excluded. So the doing of justice, then the response to injustice more specifically, that's an important part of who Jesus, who Jesus was and the pattern that Jesus set for us. So that is a long explanation of saying that justice is important. And what we're seeing in these incidents of police brutality is acts of oppression and acts of injustice that are not being addressed. People are not being held accountable for the violence that is ensuing. And I think that there are ways in which Jesus stood up to power, stood up to Roman soldiers, stood up to the power brokers in the, in his own religion, in the Jewish faith to say, justice needs to be done. And those of us who are following Jesus and following that pattern, I think sometimes justice gets politicized and people get scared. I know there are preachers who struggle with how to talk about justice because it's become a political issue. I think I've said before on the podcast, Jesus was political. Jesus was not partisan, but Jesus was political. Jesus was involved in the world, cared about what was going on in the Roman Empire, uh, cared about the ways in which the laws of the land impacted the people around them. And so that's important to, to remember as well. We can't extract ourselves from the world as followers of Jesus and say, this, this doesn't pertain to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why we felt the urgency to do this podcast this week and not that it won't be relevant in weeks to come, but why we really wanted to, to do this more immediately, because we do feel that call to address what we're perceiving as injustice. And I think where we've seen the conversations go is when these incidents happen, for some reason, people tend to go to their, their corners, you know, like in a boxing ring, they go to their corners and it becomes a, I hate police or I love police. And it, rather than I'm glad that police are there to protect from crime and they should be held accountable when they are doing acts of injustice like this. These are great acts of injustice and great power constantly needs to be examined and questioned and held accountable because otherwise it outgrows itself and power becomes the point of it rather than the whole point of the police force was to make things safe for everybody. And these acts of police brutality do the exact opposite. So we're not trying to go to our corner and say police are bad. We're trying to have this conversation that hopefully we would hope everyone could agree that someone being murdered by police is bad, period. Like it's, it's bad. It's bad. Whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, it's bad. Whatever side of, you know, whatever, community you're a part of. You look like you wanted to say something to jump in if you want to. No, I'm just vehemently agreeing with you. I think the other thing that I saw uh, another social media account um, that was brought to my attention that, that we follow on the podcast um, on Instagram is priv to prog, which stands for privilege to progress, but talking about the ways in which the image of God in our siblings of color is being marred. That when our siblings of color are murdered, it is made to seem as though they do not bear the image of God in the same way that those of us who are white do. And that's problematic. 
Yeah. And naming that as problematic and calling that out does not make us anti-police, you know, does not make us hating the other group. It's just, I'm, I'm continue to be baffled and maybe that's just me being naive about why this is not a, a unity horse, you know, not something we can all jump on and ride together and why these systems are not doing and not, some systems are doing the work. Many systems are trying to figure out how to improve things. But until we're willing to say, why is this happening on a large scale? Where is this bias coming from? How can we continue to address this without getting defensive and saying, you're anti-police? You know, no, we're all pro everyone feeling safe with the police. We're all pro everyone feeling safe in general. So kind of recognizing the, our responsibility in this conversation to to provide maybe a little more nuance to it than what seems to happen on social media and other places as well. As we move into thinking about who's driving and who's uh, who's got power and control, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is is white people, and I think it goes. I hope it goes without saying, but I will say it: we can't talk about police brutality without talking about systemic racism. They are so inherently linked. Yep. Yeah. And just the power that's inherent in being the people who supposedly keep the peace, you know, the power that's inherent when you have the authority to arrest someone and lock someone up, when you have the authority to take away someone's freedom. And, you know, sometimes people are drawn to these positions because of the power they provide. And sometimes people are drawn to these positions because they want to serve. And so, and sometimes those can get mixed up together, but that's why, you know, in counseling, we've talked about the great power of being a therapist on this podcast a lot. And part of what I do as a counseling professor is try to help students understand that, but to constantly examine the impact of that power and to, try to quite frankly, weed out people who are drawn to this profession as a draw to that power. And that's one of the other things that I think needs to happen in all of these systems where there is great power and where someone maybe is drawn to the system consciously or unconsciously because of their feelings about white supremacy. You know, they want to be a part of this very powerful system. And so we have to recognize that our country, all the systems of power in this country have racism baked into them. I would also add just the ways in which uh, you mentioned when we were uh, sort of going over things before the before we started recording that um, in incidents of police brutality, all of the power is sucked into one person. So a police is mm-hmm. acting as judge and jury and executioner all in one, and that there's not this opportunity for that system checking, for that accountability to be held. And that's magnified even more as as our country is going through the the trial, as we watch the trial of Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis, who's one of the officers who took part in the murder of George Floyd. It's a powerful thing to watch this play out. And I can only imagine for our siblings of color, how difficult it is that there is a trial, that there is not this automatic George Floyd is dead because of what this police officer did and therefore needs to be held accountable. Yeah. 
And that's, even though I understand people who are frustrated by that, that's the way the system is supposed to work. Is there supposed to be a a party that does an examination of things and brings charges and then a trial from a separate group of people who kind of looks through what should happen? And as you said, you know, when all of this power and all three of those things get sucked in, you know, George Floyd didn't have that opportunity for a trial of any kind for what he was being arrested for at that moment. It was like, nope, you're wrong. And I'm going to show you you're wrong. And, and so that doesn't pull apart that power the way I think the system was originally designed to do. And it's gotten really, really twisted. And I don't know if we can even pull it apart at this point. I mean, I also think it goes without saying, you know, one of our segments on this podcast is road rage and and perhaps that this whole episode is is an example of just emotion. Yeah. It's an emotional issue. Yeah. And you know, when we when I was thinking about the road rage segment, I have experienced a lot of anger. I've experienced a lot of frustration. And I to the point where I'm really sad and I don't want to get resigned. And I'm sort of feeling that as well because we see it happening. What feels like more and more, it's not more and more. It's just that we have cameras now and therefore we're being exposed to it more and more, I think. And I also hear me saying that as a white woman and don't even know if like the rage that people of color feel hearing this. I can't even, it feels wrong for me to say I'm angry when it, I don't want to appropriate that anger that's not mine to have, but I'm, I can also speak to the system that I'm a part of and be angry at the way that it has played out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Does that even make sense? It it absolutely does. I mean, I, I feel like we've, we've both said this, we're, we are trying to find the best way to follow Jesus and to serve Jesus and to serve people who love Jesus and, and all of God's people. And yeah, it's, it's emotional. It's, it's sad. Um, it's devastating to see the lives I particularly am, have been impacted by Adam Toledo, a 13 year old boy. Yeah. I uh, served as a youth pastor and, you know, I know we all know 13 year old boys and just the ways in which it is, it's hard to put words to yeah. it sometimes. So rather than getting sucked into the resignation and getting pulled under to the despair that would be easy. And I understand people who need to turn away from it. And, but one of the things, you know, you mentioned the black liturgies, I follow black liturgies on Instagram, and I just want to hype that again, because one of the things she speaks to so often is rest when you need to rest Mm -hmm. and then come back. And so, um, as a white person, I also don't know if it's okay that I get such comfort from black liturgies, but it is an amazing follow. So definitely go follow, go follow black liturgies on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere you can find it, because that's some, just some amazing poetry and some amazing worship for me just to read her very small daily liturgies that, um, that she puts out there. But, but rather than letting that rest and turning away from it become permanent. What are some U-turns, Jill? What are some things that maybe we can put some of this despair and anger and sadness to action? Yeah. Well, I, I think you just said right there, there, there is a sense of, of action. And I think, uh, as, 
as white people, I think naming the desire for a quick fix, uh, it's, it, this is not a quick fix. Racism is not new. Systemic racism is not new. Police brutality is not new. And there is an urgency in that our siblings of color are, are literally dying at the hand in injustice and oppression. And, and there is an urgency that it needs to be addressed. And there is a lot of work. There are things that we need to learn and things that we need to unlearn and, and ways in which we need to hold ourselves accountable. Um, so there's, I think with that resignation can come the idea of this is too big. I can't handle this, or this might not be my place. Um, and, and moving forward with your, your genuine best self, laying it out, as you said, so beautifully, Paula, like laying it out there. I'm not sure if this is the right thing to do, but this is, this is what I feel is important. So some of the U-turns that I've seen that have been suggested, one of them is standing in solidarity with people. If you happen to notice that a police officer has pulled over someone of color, maybe get out and uh, you know pull over as well. Or if it's in your neighborhood, stand in your front yard uh, and and just give an witness. awareness of accountability. Witness. Is yeah, that be beautiful. a witness. Yeah, yeah. Record if you feel like that would be something that might need some documentation. Air on the side of recording, probably. Yeah. That helps. A witnessing of what happens and a documentation of what happens is helpful for the person that is helpful for both the law enforcement officer and the person they're interacting with. So yeah. that's something that should be something that's helpful for both parties in this interaction. It's not something that's we say that to be adversarial to the law enforcement officer. It's just a witnessing of what is happening and helping them to be able to say, you know, I'm, this is way different, but maybe as a, a similarity would be me as a professor, if I'm having to address an issue with a student, it's helpful to have a wit a student who perhaps I has if I'm having to address an issue with a student of concern, I'm trying to address a concern with a student, having a witness there or recording the meeting helps that student to know that I'm being held accountable for whoever might be watching. And it helps me to be able to show exactly what happened and that what I did and the way I was using my power wasn't in a harmful way. So I, I just feel like that was important to say that we're not saying to do that to create enmity with yeah. law enforcement. It's something that can be helpful all around. Absolutely. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. Um, so another another means of action, whether it be a U-turn or just heading heading down on something that you're already doing, is just checking, checking in on your people and being willing to lay it out there and say, I don't know what to say, but I want to know that I'm I want you to know I'm thinking about you, or I want you to know, I want to know that I'm checking in on you. And a third U-turn I would think about is um, you know, educating ourselves and learning about what's going on. I think it's important as we consider the, I, this, this concept of police brutality, that there's a whole spectrum of responses out there, that there are people who care very passionately about law enforcement education and law enfor the, the protection of law enforcement and the employment of law enforcement. And there are also organizations out there that think that police need to be defunded. Yeah, I think that this we would be remiss if we did not address this movement happening out there. And I will also confess that in the haste that we kind of threw this episode together, I 
I'm not fully informed on this movement. And I feel like this movement is still evolving. And so probably means a lot of different things to different people. But from my understanding, this is kind of the defund the police movement is kind of a continuum of what people are asking for. And there certainly is an extreme end of that continuum that's saying, just get rid of the police altogether. I don't think that's what most people in this movement are saying, kind of that extreme of get rid of. I could be wrong about that because, again, I'm still learning this as well. But my understanding and where I would kind of fall on this is just looking at where we're putting our resources and are there other places that we could direct resources that would be supportive to people doing that more arresting and more the traditional police work. You know, as a mental health worker, I certainly think about um, how a lot of law enforcement agencies are now embedding mental health practitioners in every call that they go out to, to see if someone like me might be a better response to someone in the middle of a psychiatric crisis, as opposed to someone with a gun who's going to put handcuffs on you. And, um, and I, you know, I've worked with so many police officers in my time working in the emergency room, they would be involved if someone had been brought in under an involuntary commitment order. And I feel like I always had a good relationship with them, understanding their role and my role in that process and that they had a role to play, but that I was going to be the one kind of making the decisions from that point on. And that I was the one who could really assess what was happening. And even better if someone can be involved back at the point where they don't even have to get handcuffs on them, or can we put in more structures of prevention for mental health issues or prevention around poverty, prevention around things that drive people to commit crimes. So if we could look at where's that literal funding going and are there ways that we could direct it in ways that can be supportive to what the police are trying to do rather than putting all of the burden on them to be a police officer and a social worker and a counselor and a best friend and a chaplain and you know all of these things at the same time that's too much to ask of anybody yeah so as we as we get to the end of this particular journey if you were to put it in park paula what do you got you know i feel like we've been well i've been I'll just speak for me because you are always, as always, very eloquent and speak thoughtfully and together. But I feel like I've been a little all over the place. And, and I felt that way about this topic coming into it. And I think that's okay, because we're just kind of speaking from the gut here a little bit more than um, really thinking it through as much and being more intentional and maybe filtered in what we were gonna say. So I just hope that our roadies will have some grace with us and come along this journey and recognize that that's what this episode was about us being a little all over the place, maybe intentionally, but I just, the bottom line, I think I've already said it. I feel like hopefully there's no one out there who says what happened to George Floyd is okay. And what Mm -hmm. happened to any other name that we mentioned or all the names that we haven't mentioned at the beginning that no one would say that's okay. If you do, then there's more examination to do, but I would hope that no one would say that's okay. And so then that leads me to the question of, so why do we feel the need to go straight to our separate corners when these Mm -hmm. things happen? That's what we hoped this conversation would be, would be a dialogue that really helps us to look a little more, more globally about why are we doing this? You know, why aren't we able to have these conversations without having this animosity with each other? So, so I hope that this is a conversation that can help us examine like 
what can we do to all be on the same page as far as police brutality being bad while supporting our police officers? Right. What are your, what's your point in park, Jill, as you kind of think back on this episode? Yeah. Well, uh, it's hard for me in matters of justice to take off my pastor hat because I'm, I'm, I'm always looking at matters of justice with, uh, through the lens to swap my metaphor for a sec there through, through the lens of the role I, I love having as a pastor. So matters of justice were important to Jesus and those of us who follow Jesus matters of justice have to be important to us. Police brutality is synonymous. Perhaps we can say with systemic racism and with white supremacy. And so we, we need to look at the ways in which white, white supremacy and systemic racism are matters of injustice. And as followers of Jesus and people who desire to follow the pattern that Jesus set for us, those are things that we have to speak out against. And those are things that we have to learn about. And those are things that we have to take action against that that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. And that is not easy and it's going to be uncomfortable and we can't not do it. Yeah. And you know, we know we just time after time after time, Jesus is on the side of the oppressed. Jesus is on the side of those who are experiencing injustice. Jesus experienced injustice and oppression and brutality and I think, yes, following his example and how we respond to this is this is hopefully one small step in that. And I feel like we will be having more conversations about this on the podcast going forward. But um, as always, would love to hear your thoughts, roadies, about what we have to say. You can do that a lot of different ways. You can find us on social media at Facebook and Instagram, Sacred Intersections Podcast, on Twitter at Sacred Pod. Tell us, tell them about our website, Jill. Yeah. Our website is sacredintersectionspodcast.com. And we will, uh, we'll put some of the social media accounts that we've mentioned in the episode in the show notes, but also we'll direct you to, uh, there's a lot of anti-racism resources on our webpage. Um, we are always adding to those. So if you have particular resources, books you've read, other podcasts that you've listened to articles, other people you follow on social media, uh, please recommend them to us. We're, we're still doing the work of learning as well. You can hear our episodes on the website and leave comments for us there as well. And we really do hope that this becomes a conversation and we look forward to continuing to travel on this road with you and hearing from you all. So safe travels through all your sacred intersections throughout the week.